like 9.30 and being 32, I was like, I've got to go home. And so I missed most of the cricket. The cricket's been going to like 2 a.m. But basically what happened was Australia, so if you, know, if you, if you understand anything about cricket, um, the ball they use in test match cricket, which is the one that goes for five days, I know, can you believe people watch it for five days, like me? But the, the ball is basically made out of leather and um, when it's brand new, it's beautiful. Like anyone that loves cricket just like loves it. My brother-in-law, Scott, actually bought me a, a cricket ball from Lords, which is the cricket ground in England where cricket kind of first started in the 1800s. And I have it and it's brand new. And sometimes on lonely nights, I, um, I, I get it out of its box and I just, I just smell it. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is from Lords. Like, that's crazy. Um, that's, how, that's how obsessed people with cricket. So anyway, basically what Australia did in the game yesterday, to cut a long story short, is they, they, they tampered with the condition of the ball. So during the game, obviously, you know, the ball's going to get hit by a bat. It's going to hit the ground. If it gets hit for six, it might hit a concrete wall in the stands. Like it, it basically, but, but the rules in cricket are whatever happens to the ball naturally is fine. And you can rub it on your pants or whatever, you know, as you see guys do, and you think that's weird. That's to shine it. Because basically if the ball's shiny on one side and it's not shiny on the other side, it will swing. So as it's bold, it will kind of change direction a little bit, which is when you're a batsman, which I'm not, um, but when you're a batsman, it's really hard to face. So what Australia did last night in the cricket was they actually used some things they actually brought onto the field illegally in their pockets, uh, one guy anyway, and he was kind of taking it out of his pocket and basically rubbing the ball and trying to create kind of like cuts in the ball so that it would basically not be shiny on one side so that it would swing. Basically, it, it, the most desperate measure to try and win. Now, I'm, I'm going to go and publicly say that I don't think they're the first team to do it and I reckon it's been happening for a while. However, they, are, they have been caught, they have admitted it and there are going to be huge ramifications. I mean, we could be talking about guys that are banned from the game for like you know, a long period of time. It's a huge, it's probably the greatest scandal I think Australian cricket has ever seen. And it's crazy because two nights ago, two nights ago, I was barracking for Australia going, come on Australia, you know, like you're my team, you know, I love our captain, I love our whole team, um, you know, I'm wanting them to win. And then isn't it funny that 24 hours later, I'm like, you know what, and, and this is honest, my honest opinion is, you know what, go South Africa. Like, um, you know, A.B. de Villiers is, is like, normally the guy that we just can't never get out. Now I'm like, you know what, I hope you go and make 100 when we wake up this morning because you're just amazing. Um, that's that's kind of how it feels. And we're talking about um, Palm Sunday. This is kind of like the, the picture I want to paint for you guys is that this is a little bit like what happened with Jesus was that when we talk about Palm Sunday, Jesus was a guy who, who you know, people had kind of figured out, the Jews had kind of figured out, hey, maybe this guy is the Messiah. You know, if you look at the Old Testament of the Bible, it was all about, hey, God is going to send someone. He's going to send a saviour. He's going to send a Messiah and he's going to fix it all. And he's going to save you and it's going to be awesome. And things will be the way they should be. It'll be like Garden of Eden 2.0. It's going to be fantastic. At least that's how kind of the Jews had interpreted it. So when Jesus comes at Palm Sunday, they absolutely love him. They're like, this is so fantastic, you know, Jesus is here. Let's have a look at what happens. Um, so it says that after Jesus had said this, by the way, he was um, talking about um, the parable of the tenants. So you can read that another time. But he went on and ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, 
he sent two of his disciples saying, to them, go, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Uh, that is awesome. So I'm actually going to try that out with, um, uh, I think that's Callum up the back there. Callum's going to be my assistant leader on Gents Camp. So I'm going to be like, Callum, go and get the nicest car out of the car park at Gents Camp. And if anyone asks, tell them, oh, you know, my youth pastor needs it. Like, and, um, no, I mean, it wouldn't work, right? But, but Jesus has this power. And, and by this stage, the disciples are like, you know, we'll do anything you say. But he basically, he's basically saying, hey, we know what, go up. Go and ask these guys. Oh, sorry, don't even ask these guys. Don't even ask anyone. Just go and steal a donkey. Uh, so that's what they do. It says, those who were sent ahead went and, found, uh, went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? <laughs> they replied, the Lord needs it. <laughs> they brought it. And I love it how, like, um, in this gospel, Luke, he doesn't explain what happened. Like, I don't know whether the owners, like, chased them with sticks or whatever, but... It just carries on. They brought it to Jesus. <laughs> um, but I love that. I love that obedience to, to God, you know. Um, they were like, you know what? You have told us to do this. You're our teacher. We believe in you. We are just going to do what you say. Um, and so they bring this donkey to Jesus. And then this is what happens. They throw their cloaks on the colt. So they like take off their outer jackets. They put it on this donkey because there's no saddle. And they put Jesus on it. And it's also interesting too that it said it had never been ridden. Uh, I don't know much about donkeys, but I know a little bit about horses, and I know that they have to be broken in. In other words, you know, you have to, to ride a horse a few times before you can get on it. I'm assuming donkeys, I'm assuming most animals will be the same. Um, you know, it's kind of fun watching little kids try and sit on dogs, you know, like they think, oh, I'm going to sit on the dogs. It's like, yup, yup, yup. you know, like, I kind of think maybe the donkey did that, but for whatever reason, this donkey just said, you know what, I'm going to do this. And so they went along, as they went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And uh, it, also, it also says in John... Um, chapter 12, that they took palm branches and went out uh, to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the King of Israel. And this, um, this kind of goes on. And as we continue the story in Luke, it says that uh, when he came near the place when the, where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Oops, sorry, I've gone ahead one have I let me just go back one uh, for all the miracles they had seen blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord peace in heaven and glory in the highest this is completely irrational this is crazy stuff like people are coming out and they are finding whatever they can find they are taking the tree the, the branches off the trees they are taking the coats off their back they've been completely irrational they are just throwing them on the ground and they are saying Hosanna and the word Hosanna can be translated as uh, save us now or save us we pray but they're like saying you are the king you are the one that's promised we believe you are the Messiah come save us now save us we pray save us and, and um, restore things to the way they should be restore Israel and that's what they're saying they, the people were literally declaring Jesus as the king they're saying you are the king you're the one we are going to follow you and this is also uh, a prophecy fulfilled. So in Zechariah chapter 9, I think that's the one I had up there, it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Zechariah in 520 BC, right, 
So we're talking, you know, somewhere around 530 odd years before this or more than that, 550 years before this. Zechariah says, hey, this is going to happen. Your Messiah is going to come in riding on a donkey. And this is actually what happens. So when people kind of think, oh, the Old Testament's boring or they don't want to read it or they think it's irrelevant or people say the Bible's not true. Well, this is to me one of the really important things is that things that were said in the Old Testament 500 and something years beforehand then actually happened. Like to me, that's evidence. To me, I'm going, this is where I can't say that the Bible's made up because you can look for the historical proof to see that, you know, Zechariah did write this a long time ago, that then Luke wrote this a long time later, that there were, you know, obviously thousands and thousands of eyewitnesses, people, you know, throwing their things on the ground at Jerusalem going, here he is, the king has come. And in biblical times, it was, it was actually quite common for important people to ride on donkeys. So here again is like, this is interesting that Jesus is riding on a donkey and not, you know, like, I don't know, the back of a truck, which they didn't have then. But, you know, let's just, that'd be, that'd be amazing. <laughs> it's like, whoa, this is like on some kind of machine. Um, we've never seen this animal before. And donkeys were also a symbol of peace, which I think is important in this story too, because Jesus is coming in as the king on a donkey, which is a symbol of peace. And I think that's also a fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah, which you guys know, this is often talked about at Christmas, but I want to bring it up here. It says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. And then of course it says here, uh, Prince of Peace. No, that's not what it says. I'm sorry, where are we? I'm cl- I think I'm clicking and then it's clicking twice. That's what's actually happening which is a little bit frustrating, sorry. Okay. Um, oh, and I don't have a... And that doesn't work. Okay. Oh, my goodness. What is going on? Can I just get one of you... Whoever's on PowerPoint, I think it's Maddie. Can you just do it for me? I give up. If you can go to the one of Isaiah chapter 9, that'd be great, which I think is the next one. Yep. So it actually says there, it prophesies, Isaiah actually says, the Messiah will be a prince of peace. And here comes this guy. They're declaring as the king, riding on a donkey, a symbol of peace. I mean, it's literally saying, here he comes the King of Peace, the Prince of Peace. And I've included the next verse in Isaiah because I love this part. It says, Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And this is a point I want you guys to pick up on because this, kind of, this is kind of the big, the big point I'm trying to make tonight is that the people were expecting an earthly king. They're expecting this Messiah to come and save them in the current age, to save them back then, which to us wouldn't mean anything. There are many kings over many years who have done many great things. But do we care right now? Not really. It doesn't really affect us. And Jesus was saying, and the Bible was saying, and the prophets were saying, because God was saying to the prophets, this guy that's coming is not going to be an earthly king because of his greatness, there will be no end. Of his government, there will be no end. You see, Jesus' kingdom will never end. Jesus' love for us will never end. God's kingdom can't end. It won't happen. He's undefeatable. And that's awesome for us because that gives us certainty. That is a certainty for us in a time of what I would call horrible uncertainty. Even our own cricket team can't be trusted. I mean, if Steve Smith can't be trusted, who can be trusted? Seriously. Oh, I do not want to watch the cricket tonight, but I do because I just want to see what happens. Anyway, (laughs) Jesus' kingdom will never end. That's good news, my friends. That is absolutely awesome news. When there is so much uncertainty in our lives, and I can say that because I'm on wheels, when there's so much things that we don't know what's going to happen, we know one thing is for sure. We are going to be with him 
forever. He is the King. Hosanna, God, save us now, we pray. Like you say that, Jesus, why don't you come back today? I'm ready. He says, oh, well, I'm not ready yet. Yeah, well, can you kind of hurry up? Because I'm ready. <laughs> and he's like, hey, do what I tell you. All right. You know, God is good. The, of, his, of the greatness of his government will never end. It's not, it's not just like a, it's not a, a dictatorship where God's like up here going, right, you know, do what I say, do this, do that, do that. No, he loves us. And he loves us so much that he actually gives us the place to take his name. He gives us the place to be the people that take that out. And that's a huge privilege, a huge honour, a huge responsibility and a huge mission. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. God is just. Where there is injustice, and this is what I want to touch on tonight, where there is injustice in many of our lives in this church tonight, God cares deeply about that. God cares deeply about the injustice in your life. Do you know that, folks? I'm going to say that again. God cares deeply about the injustice in your life. He really does. He's not a God that just goes, yeah, look, I'm too busy. And this is, this is something I get as a youth pastor. I, I, I get to chat with a lot of young people. I was chatting with a girl a couple of weeks ago. And she's like, I get that God loves me, but like, wouldn't he care more about you because you're in a wheelchair? Like he would be, and it's basically her saying, he's too busy for me. Surely God's got better things to do than help me and my relationship with my mom, which is what I was talking to her about. And I was like, I said to this girl, you know, but that's the beauty of our God. He's not too busy. You know, he, he, yes, he does care about me and the wheels, but you know, he actually cares greatly about you. He cares greatly about what you're going through. Now you might sit there and think, okay, well, I haven't really got that much going on. You know, I was sick this week. You know, I had, the, I had a bit of a cold, but I was only, you know, I didn't even have a day off work. You know, God actually cares about that. You know, we're not talking about a God who, who is too busy for things. See, we, we put what's happened to us on God. We say, okay, God must be like my teachers. God must be like my parents. God must be like my pastors. But no, God is better than all of those people. Okay, if God came and was actually your dad your whole life, you'd be doing a lot better. If God came and was actually your teacher in primary school, you'd be doing a lot better. If God came and was the youth pastor of this church, oh my goodness, you wouldn't even recognise the place. It'd be so much better. If God came and sung, he'd be just slightly better than Andy Packer. Just slightly, because that's, oh my goodness. <laughs> Sorry, Andy's like, oh, gosh. oh my gosh, Andy's voice. I could just listen to it all day. Sorry, is that weird? It's, it's just great. Um, but I want to, okay, I want to I sort of change track here and, 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 um, and go on to what happens after that. Where are we up to? Um, keep going and keep going. And yes, okay. Let's focus on this for a minute. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city. So, so going back to, again, Palm Sunday, Jesus has ridden down uh, this track and, and people have come. They've put palm trees. They've, they've been completely irrational. And I actually want to encourage us to do that later on when we worship tonight, when we sing a couple more songs. We're going to sing How We Love Your Name in a little bit. And I want us to be completely irrational. I don't mean that we have to be stupid in the sense that we do dumb things, but I want us to just worship him, not worry about what other people are thinking. The people were completely irrational. I think that's one of the beauty, I think it's one of the attractional things of Monday night prayer and worship. And if you don't know about Monday night prayer and worship, a little plug here for Margie and the team, but 7 p.m. every Monday night, um, you know, these guys come and I would call it irrational worship a lot of the time. And it's beautiful. 
because people just worship in these. And there's been some amazing nights where people have just poured out praise to God. And it's really cool. And sometimes you go there and you're like, what the on earth are those people doing over there? But they don't care because they're just worshiping God. There are, so many, there are so many occasions in the Bible where people worshiped God with everything they had. And God loves that. He also loves it when we worship him a little bit, but I think he loves it when we're, when we're set free to worship him. And this is what these people were doing. But then the craziest thing happened. So then the, this, is, this is the part I actually didn't even know about Palm Sunday. And I don't know if you knew this part, but in, in, the, in, the, um, in the book of Luke, it says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept. I mean, what the heck, right? So like Jesus has had this most amazing moment where people are worshipping him, they're praising him irrationally, they're throwing palm leaves down, they're throwing their cloaks down, they're yelling out, Hosanna, you know, save us. You are the king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the guy we've been waiting for. You are him. And Jesus' response is to cry. And a lot of people say, oh, well, he was crying because, you know, he knew that in a week's time he would be crucified. But that's actually not why Jesus cried. Have a listen. He wept over it. He was approaching Jerusalem and he wept over Jerusalem and he says this. He says, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you and your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. And this is pretty hectic. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognise the time of God's coming to you. Now, specifically, Jesus is talking about uh, the second temple and about 40 years after this, in, in about 70 AD, uh, yes, the Romans did come and invaded Jerusalem and they knocked the temple down. They did actually build an embankment. All of this stuff happened that Jesus said, which was crazy. And, and, and of course, um, you know, Jerusalem was defeated. But Jesus is also speaking long term. He's not just speaking about what happened in 70 AD because then I don't think Luke would have bothered writing this if it didn't matter. I don't think God would have included this if it didn't really matter. I mean, yeah, it's cool to see that prophecy, but he's actually saying, hey, if you had only known on this day, what would bring you peace? And Jesus is weeping because he knows, he says, you know, you guys are worshipping me because you think that I'm something, but I'm actually not. I'm not, I'm actually not the king you're looking for. Yes, I'm the Messiah, but I'm not the king you're looking for. You see, you're looking for an earthly king. You're looking for someone to just solve all your problems and make it right today. And he says, but I've got something better than that. And what hurts me is that you won't understand it and you're going to be really upset. And some of you are going to see me on that cross in five days' time and you're not going to understand. You're going to think, oh, damn, we were wrong. That's not him. But we thought it was. He made all the right, he said all the right things, he did all the right things. But there he is on the cross. He's dead. He's gone. How can we possibly, how can we possibly, you know, we're wrong. Like, how could this possibly happen? And Jesus is going, you know, this is what's going to happen. You guys are going to think that I wasn't the Messiah. But I've got something better. I'm not just an earthly king. I'm not just a king who's coming to save the present day. No, I have got something far better but you don't understand that he says and then he finally finishes because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you Jesus heart breaks with the reality 
of how much they needed a saviour. His heart breaks with the reality of how much these guys need a saviour. It kind of reminds me a little bit of um, Luke chapter 20. If you want to go to the next slide, the the parable um, of the tenants. Sorry, I said that before, but it actually comes after. I don't know. There was some other parable before that. Whatever. Read Luke chapter 19. I can't remember. I only just read it before again. Then the owner of the vineyard said, oh yeah, so the parable of the tenants, if you don't know it, just really quickly, the parable of the tenants is, is pretty simple. What happened was uh, there's an owner of the vineyard and he, uh, he owns this massive vineyard and he gives some farmers to rent the place out and he uh, you know, gives it to them and he says, hey, you know, you guys are going to rent this place out. And then after a while he goes, hey, you know what? I want my share of what's going on there. I want, I want my fruit from the place that I own. So I am going to go... And I am going to send a tenant there. Uh, sorry, I'm going to send someone there to get my share. And what happens is they beat the guy up and say, you know, no way. And the guy comes back. So then the owner sends a second person to give his message. But they beat the guy up. And then finally he sends a third person and they beat the guy up. And so it's like, and this is prophetic, right? This is, this is basically what God is, what Jesus is saying is, God has sent prophets to you guys in the past and you've beat them up and you've not listened to them. So this is what he says. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my son whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. Isn't this tragic when you think about the meaning of this parable? But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. I don't even know. That is H-E-I-R. I don't even really know how to say that word. It's probably a Brazilian word. And he can probably say it much better than I can. I don't know. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him, right? Exactly what the people do to Jesus. Here comes the son of God, the son of God. Perhaps they'll respect him. Perhaps they'll believe him. Perhaps they'll understand him. No, they throw him out. They kill him. So, what, so then, what will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. That's a pretty, that's a pretty full-on message. And uh, if you're confused about that, I'll, I can talk to you about that another time. That's not, that's not the point I want to make at the moment. The point I want to make is that, that they expected one thing, but got another. Jerusalem expected an earthly king, but they got an eternal king and they weren't ready for it. And my, and my friends, I guess the message I want to share with you tonight is, is this. See, I believe that our church has, has been under spiritual attack for some time, and many of you believe that as well. And I just want to, I want to say that from the stage tonight so that, so that some of you are like, hey man, my life's going full on. I'm seeing all these things happen around me. I'm seeing, and I don't even think just rivers, by the way. When I say the church, I mean capital C church. There are things going on in this part of the world that are crazy. I, I really do think that the church is under attack. And I see that everywhere I go. Almost every day I'm finding out some bad news about, you know, someone who's a Christian who's doing ministry. Okay. And I want to say this to you. For us, for some of you, it looks bad. It's like Jesus is on the cross. But that's not the end of the story. And that's why you've got to come to the Easter services so that you can hear Tim and Dave uh, preach, about, preach about that. I'm, real, I'm, I'm really actually genuinely excited about hearing what they have to say because I love hearing the gospel. But I, I want to tell you this tonight, that your situation, whatever you're in, might look bad. And there are many of you who are suffering tonight. And don't think, oh, no, I'm not suffering that badly. If that's you, then that's, that, you're the person I'm talking to as well. There are many of us who are suffering tonight and things look bad. But the thing is, 
Jesus has got something better. You see, these people, they thought Jesus was coming as an earthly king to fix their problems now. And while that might have been good for them at that time, it wouldn't have worked out in the long run because it wouldn't have mattered for us. We may not have even existed. You see, Jesus has something better. You know, again, I go back to my story 12 months ago, almost 12 months ago now, when, I had the, when these wheels came and came to be a part of my life. This sucks. I hate this. Ask my mother the words from the Bible that I said today. They're not in the Bible, some of the words I said today when I was trying to get, just simply get in and out of my car because it sucks being in a wheelchair. But the fruit that has come from it, even my little nephew, Xavier, that came up here before, why do I, why do I get along with Xavier? Because while I was in hospital last year, every week, even twice a week sometimes, he would come in and visit me. Well, he'd be dragged along to come and visit me. He didn't get on the train himself. I mean, he's a genius, but he's not that smart. Right? Let's go to the next slide, actually. This is something that happened just yesterday. This is a little scene, as some of you guys know, little scene. He's a champ. Yeah, it was Scene's birthday yesterday. And, um, oh, sorry. And we went to Aquafun Park yesterday, the Sunshine Coast. If you know anything about that place, ignore my emotions and carry on. Uh, it's like uh, bouncy castles on the water and stuff. And, um, I used to love doing that with those kids, hey. So him and his mates are out there and they're uh, bouncing around and I'm sitting there in my wheelchair and I'm just like, man, this sucks. God, what the hell are you doing? I can't do this, God, like, what are you doing? And Cena actually came out of the water early, which was weird. I actually looked at him and he looked a bit sad and I, to be honest, I just thought, oh yeah, he's probably like, you know, um, something's probably happened. You know, sometimes the boys annoy each other. You know, you know, they're like young people these days. But later on, he said to me, before I went home, like later on last night, he goes, you know why I sat with you yesterday at Quafun Park? I said, why? He said, because I couldn't handle watching you sit there by yourself. And my friends, I'm here to tell you, that's one of the most beautiful things that's ever happened to me. And that would not happen if it weren't for these wheels. You know what would have happened yesterday? I would have just crashed around on the jumping castles and pushed them over and, you know, annoyed them and whatever and had a bit of fun with them. And we would have just gone and nothing would have happened. But that was one of the most beautiful things. Jay Watson actually came out too. Some of you guys know Jay. And he came out and sat with me as well. And he was chatting to me. And I was like, are you tired, bro? And he was like, no. And then later on, he actually had no idea what scene said. And he was like, yeah, I don't know. I just didn't want you to be by yourself. I just felt sorry for you. And I was just like, oh man, that's crazy. These are the beautiful things that come. I don't know what your situation is, but I'm in a wheelchair and I don't care. You know why? Because God is doing things that are far greater than what I would have expected. You know what I wanted God to do last year? I was like, you know, God, hurry up. And I would swear at him and I would curse and I would say all sorts of things. God, just come and get me out of this wheelchair. In Jesus' name, just do a miracle. There are thousands of people around this world praying for me. What are you doing? You don't know what you're doing. And see, this is what the devil does. First of all, he plants a thought in your mind. He says, you know what? If God loved you, he wouldn't do what he's doing to you right now because he doesn't let his children. Think about your own parents. As bad as some of your parents might have been, they probably wouldn't want you in a wheelchair. Some of you, maybe they did want you in a wheelchair, but let's not talk about that. Think of the good parents. I know my parents wouldn't have ever wanted me in a wheelchair. My mum constantly says to me, I would do anything to swap places with you. And I say, well, I wouldn't because you're cooking for me all right now and I wouldn't cook for you. But anyway, that's another the point. <laughs> you see... I was begging God to do something about it. Thousands of people praying. And God said to me, you know what, Josh? Just gotta trust me. I've got something better. So Satan comes and he plants a lie. He says, God doesn't love you. If he loved you, he wouldn't do this to you. And you start to believe it. 
But the only thing that we can stand on to know that God loves us is the cross. Because what the cross does is when Jesus was crucified for our sin, you see, we became righteous. He became sin who knew no sin. And greater love has no one than this. John chapter 15, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. Jesus laid down his life for us. Could he show his love to us any more than that? He could have been an earthly king. God could have come up with some other way, but there was no other way. There was no greater way, no better way to show his love for us than the cross. So these wheels suck and I would love for God to come and do a miracle, but oh man, the fruit that's coming out of it, I can't deny what's happening. And I'm sorry to bang on about that, but I suppose it's still a fresh thing for me. What a beautiful thing that happened yesterday with seeing on his birthday. What beautiful things are happening in your life? What are the diamonds in the dust? My friend Paul Webster, who I chat to all the time, he's an awesome Christian guy that lives in Armadale. He's one of those guys that's done everything. And he's gone through so much in his life. And he always says to me, and in hospital, he was such an encouragement to me. And he always says to me, Josh, look for the diamonds in the dust. And they're there, my friends. Whatever you're going through right now, and some of you are going through horrendous things. You're like, oh, I'm not in a wheelchair. I don't, forget that, okay, forget that. Let's stop playing the comparison game too of, oh, my situation's worse than, oh, this person, this. That's just silly. You know, I even had a parent in hospital last year, a parent text me and say, and even send me a photo, hey, my son's in hospital. He's really dehydrated. He has a really bad thing of the flu. He's 10 years old. But I told him, you know, but think about poor old chappy Josh. I was like, your kid's in hospital. Show him some empathy. Like, that sucks. Like, I can't, I, I mean, I couldn't handle it if one of my youth kids went to hospital for a night, let alone if it's... If it's your own kid, I can't imagine what that's like. Let's stop doing that. Your situation, whatever you're in, I know many of you are struggling right now. God cares deeply. Your situation might look grim, but you don't know what God's gonna do. I'm gonna finish. If we go to the last slide. Um, actually, sorry. Yeah, go to that one there. This is um, from some Christian lady on the internet. Um, sorry, I just wanted to sound like Tim Neal. You know, Tim always does this because he reads so much stuff and I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to be Tim Neal. All right, so Debbie McDaniel from crosswalk.com, she says this, sorry. No, but actually I, I was like, oh, what if this lady's like a heathen and like crazy and stuff, but she's, she's legit, so it's all right. And, the, and, what, and even if she wasn't, this quote's really good. It says, Palm Sunday reminds us that the reign of Christ is far greater than any the mind of man could ever conceive or plan. I don't think that's an English sentence. Anyway, Man looked for someone to fight their battles in the present day world, yet God had the ultimate plan of sending his son to fight the final battle over death. This is the greatness of why we celebrate this week because of Christ's ultimate sacrifice. We can be set free of death. <laughs> oh my goodness. That is insane. Um, what doesn't the music team come up? That is insane that Jesus' death looks like the worst thing that ever happened. And I don't want to steal the sermons that Dave and Tim are going to say, but it looks like the worst, it looks like the worst thing that could ever happen. And yet Jesus' death was single-handedly the greatest thing that's ever happened in the history of the universe. And in fact, there will be no greater thing. We can be guaranteed of that because on the cross was where his love was shown more than anywhere else. So I want to quote Josh Lack, quoting the Bible. Did you know that in June 2016, I preached a sermon on this stage about, hey, you do not know what God is going to do. You've got to trust him. <laughs> and I was lying in hospital one night last year and I started reading this sermon that I wrote and I was like, man, I had no idea. I had no idea. 
how much that was for me. And I don't know what you're going through, but check this out. From 2 Corinthians chapter 4, so we can go to the next slide, please. It says, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, and I'm sorry if that sounds like a cop-out, and I remember saying this in my sermon, it sounds like a cop-out when you say that this is a light and momentary trouble, but this is. Like when we, when we go to heaven, we're like, oh yeah, Josh was in a wheelchair. Oh yeah, that's right. It'll be like a passing thing. Because eternity will go for a long time, just, just quietly. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary. You know that song we always sing? There is an appointed end to suffering. What is unseen is eternal. And finally, the last one. Because of all those things, Habakkuk chapter 3. Though the fig tree does not bud, and though there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the, pin, in the pen, there's no sheep in a pen either because that would be we, uh, in a pen, uh, anyway. <laughs> I'm going to read it again because I want to get the message across. Sorry, I stuffed up. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Saviour. Guys, why don't you stand up? And I just want you to close your eyes for a moment. It might not be your battle that you're struggling with at the moment. It might be someone else's battle. I know that there are a lot of wonderful, compassionate people in this church. But I want you to just... To just to bring that before God right now. Father, we bring before you our light and momentary troubles and yet the things that are really, really breaking our hearts. Father, we don't know what you're doing and sometimes we cry out, what are you doing? How could you do this, God? How could you allow these things to happen? And yet, Jesus, we look to you as the ultimate example and you have that authority because you died and rose again. You showed us through your death and resurrection that you are the king, that you are the one that we can praise. You are the one that we can trust. Help us as a church to trust you. Help us as a people to trust you. Help us to trust each other. Father, help us to do these things because we know that you have got something far better, far greater than we can imagine. God, if we had it our way, well, things just wouldn't be as they are. Those diamonds wouldn't exist. You know what you're doing, Father, and we trust you. I just feel like as I'm praying that there are people in this place that you would, if you really searched your heart and were really honest with yourself, you would say, you know what, I'm not sure I trust the Lord. I'm not sure I trust God. And God would say to you, that's okay. That I want to show to you, says the Lord, that I want to show to you that I am trustworthy. I feel like God says to those people and maybe even to all of us, look at my hands. Look at the scars, the nails that went through my hands. These hands are trustworthy. 
I did this for you. Even if you were the only person that ever lived, I did this for you. I can be trusted. I'm not invasive like the devil. I'm not going to invade your life. But I hold out my hands to you and I just say, just, just, just take hold of my hand. And I'll lead you and I'll show you the way, but you've got to trust me. I know what I'm doing and oh man, you wait. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be worth it. Guys, I want to encourage you to be like those people in Jerusalem. To be irrational in our worship, to just really worship Him. Maybe you've got a jumper on or an outer shirt. Throw it on the ground. Maybe don't take off your actual shirt. That might be a bit strange, but you know. But let's be irrational in our worship. But let's have the one key difference in knowing that He's not an earthly king. No, my friends, He's an eternal king. And He can be praised and He can be trusted.